Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. I am so glad you joined us. We have uh, a couple of interesting guests for you uh, today. First, our main guest is going to be Derek James, the fine trainer of Errol Spence, who, of course, is going in this weekend against uh, Danny Garcia um, to defend his welterweight titles. And also talking about that fight, we're going to have a little snippet of uh, time with Lennox Lewis, who will be broadcasting that fight. And that's a uh, a forerunner to a longer interview that you'll get to see with Lennox Lewis uh, down the road here. Uh, we, uh, Derek is a, a gentleman that I've been anxious to talk to for uh, some time. He's a terrific trainer, former trainer of the year, and uh, he is a man who has only two clients, Jermel Charlo and Errol Spence, but he uh, has made the most of that because they are both fantastic fighters <clears throat> and champions as well. Uh, we're also going to uh, answer your questions, of course, and uh, for that and much more, let me bring in my co-host, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Hey, Trip, how are you? I am doing great. And when did the UK all of a sudden get the patent on having great heavyweights? What happened? Yeah, it, it started, you know, uh, in, well, of course, the great Lennox Lewis was the first one to do it. Uh, and then in recent years, uh, it, you know, they've dominated the division or, or it, for a while it was dominated by Eastern Europeans, including the Klitschko's. Uh, and then now the Brits are, uh, are creating uh, lots of great heavyweights. And uh, we saw one of them in action this past weekend, Joe Joyce and, uh, uh, and Daniel Dubois, a young man who uh, they battled out. And... Uh, and of course, there's Fury and Joshua and Dillian White, and uh, so there's lots of good British heavyweights that uh, have created excitement. And uh, now that's you know that's where you look for uh, for the top heavyweights. Do you are you one of the boxing experts who feel that in order for boxing to make a big comeback in this sport? and reach its levels that it reached in the 50s and 60s, we need an American undisputed heavyweight champion? Well, you know, I don't, in America, we like big things, right? We mostly, we like big cars, uh, <laughs> everything else that's big. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, heavyweights have a special place here. And of course, Deontay Wilder uh, has been a heavyweight champion and helped create those exciting fights with Tyson Fury. So, that helped, uh, I think, uh, make a lot of this heavyweight excitement here in the, in the U.S. Uh, I don't think it's mandatory, but I think it's great for boxing in America when, when you have Americans that are uh, that are certainly competitive in the heavyweight division and uh, and play an important role. And Wilder has done that. And uh, now, on in top of everything else, he's a very controversial figure because of his behavior after the. Uh, uh, the Fury fight, and but nowadays, controversy is almost always good, isn't it? Um, you know, uh, th- there is no such thing as bad publicity, they say. So, um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But the heavyweight division, certainly a healthy heavyweight division in general, 
in boxing is 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 good. Fantastic. Well, we've got some good questions. You want to get to a couple? Yeah, let's do a few. Okay. Andy writes, how do you see the Canelo-Charlo going down, and who wins? Yeah, that, of course, Canelo Alvarez and Jamal Charlo, a fight that many boxing fans want to see. Now, to talk about that, you have to talk first about the fight that Canelo is going to have uh, on December 19th against Callum Smith, uh, 168-pound champion. Uh, and that is no gimme. Callum Smith at age 30, uh, 27-0, and 0, uh, who holds the WBA version of the 168-pound title, is an excellent fighter. Uh, there is a rematch clause involved in that. So if by some chance uh, Callum Smith should win that fight, uh, they would have a rematch. Um, so that would push back the idea of a, a Canelo uh, fight with Jamal Charlo. Uh, certainly Canelo is the favorite in, this, in the Callum Smith fight, and many people expect him to win. But again, it is no given. Smith is a, an excellent fighter. Should Canelo get past him? I think all boxing fans really would like to see that matchup of Canelo and Jamal Charlo. Now, Charlo is fighting at a lower weight class than Canelo is currently campaigning at. Uh, Charlo is the middleweight champion and just recently defended that title in a terrific effort against Ser Sergei Derevyanchenko in what was a unanimous decision and <coughs> a really good effort by Charlo. Made all the better by the fact that Dervianchenko fought very well also in that fight. So uh, it was uh, more of a credit to Charlo that he, that he won it. They could fight at a catchweight, like 164 pounds, or Charlo could move up to fight at 168. I think the boxing fans really want to see that, and I'm sure on their Christmas wish list uh, if the, of fights involving Canelo, I'm sure that one's at the top of the list. Fantastic. Nigel Hines writes, after Joe Joyce's win against the heavily favored Danielle Dubois, how and what do you see Joyce achieving? Can he beat Ruiz Ortiz or Ortiz? Yeah, you know, uh, Joe Joyce's win over Dubois was an interesting one because he won with a thunderous jab and a rock hard chin. Uh, Dubois, who's a good punching heavyweight, hit him with some bombs and Joe Joyce didn't flinch. Uh, now, Joe Joyce is in an interesting situation. He's 35 years of age. And the reason he's so far advanced, it, it, it relatively quick in, uh, or in a short period in his uh, pro career, he's 11 and 0, is because he had a long amateur career and that included winning the silver medal at the 2016 Olympic Games. So he got a late start as a professional. And at this point, at age 35, he, his biological clock is ticking, even for heavyweights. And of course, they go longer and tend to mature at a later date and are often excellent in their mid-30s, as he is right now. I think those fights that were mentioned, the idea of him taking on Andy Ruiz, uh, who, of course, uh, beat Anthony Joshua and then lost to Joshua, uh, Luis Ortiz, a perennial uh, heavyweight contender, or the other interesting uh, fight with, against Usyk, uh, who would be the cruiserweight champ, former cruiserweight champion, who, of course, is campaigning as a heavyweight. And uh, I like that fight a lot. Uh, that would be my favorite choice for Joe Joyce. And there, uh, you know, that's maybe a fight that could be made. Uh, and 
you know, I think that would be really intriguing because it would tell us a lot about both men uh, if they fought each other. I don't know that Usyk could hurt him uh, because, again, Joyce has that amazing chin, but it would be a fascinating boxing match to be sure. So uh, that's one I would I would actually like to see him engage in. Okay, and one more question. This coming from the best name we've had so far, first and felony. Which active fighter not named Manny Pacquiao has the best resume to get into the Hall of Fame? That's intriguing. Uh, you know, my answer might surprise some people, but I'll tell you, when I think of, there's two fighters I think of with resumes, and uh, but I'm going to mention one of them. Uh, one is Abner Maris, who we had on as a guest, and Abner is probably right on that Hall of Fame bubble. He, uh, he fought amazing competition, and really around the same time as with the gentleman I'm going to mention, uh, and that is Carl Frotch. Now, Carl Frotch went through his career and had only two losses, uh, to Andre Ward and to Mikkel Kessler, though he also beat Kessler in one of their fights. Carl Frotch, for a, a three or four year period in his, his career, fought maybe the hardest competition that you can even imagine. Uh, you know, he fought uh, Arthur Abraham, he fought Jean Pascal, he fought Jermaine Taylor, uh, he fought Mikkel Kessler, he fought Andre Ward, he fought Glenn Johnson former light heavyweight champion. Uh, I mean, that was an amazing murderer's row of people to and Andre Durrell. I forgot about Andre Durrell. That's an amazing group of people to fight back to back to back to back. And then later on had his two fight uh, series with George Groves. So in terms of difficulty of schedule, uh, very few fighters can, can uh, match up with uh, Carl Frotch. And I believe that while some people may say, well, Carl Frotch wasn't the greatest stylist in the world and uh, there might be some nitpicking going on. Let me tell you, he was a terrific 168-pounder and I think deserves to be in the, uh, in the Hall of Fame. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, a man who probably might end up in the Hall of Fame someday uh, as a trainer uh, is Derek James. He is... Uh, really one of the best in boxing right now, if not the best. Uh, training Errol Spence and uh, also Jamel Charlo. And, uh, of course, Errol Spence will be in action this weekend, uh, taking on Danny Garcia, and Derek will be there in his corner. Uh, and Derek, to me, is a fascinating guy. You know, he devotes his time to only two fighters, and we talk about that in the interview, uh, and and he feels like while other trainers may be effective spreading their time, he doesn't feel like he wants to do that. Uh, and he feels like he needs to concentrate on his two main guys. And that is what he has done. And he has done a spectacular job of it. Here's our conversation with Derek James. Derek, you are, uh, first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, you are uh one of the people in boxing now who is sitting in maybe one of the best spots of any trainer in the sport. You are uh, the trainer of two terrific champions and you've been on a roll the last several years. Um, when you started training and you began with Errol Spence when he was an amateur, 
did you allow your mind to kind of go to the place where you're at right now? No, I didn't. I think that my whole thing is just to stay in the moment. I mean, I think that you can't get to the other place if you can't focus on what's in front of you. And I just focused on what was in front of me from uh, him winning national titles to the Olympics. And, but then when I, I can say that, when I got into the professional sport, I did say that I want to, you, you gotta go out and be the best. You gotta say you wanna be the best, right? Because the only way you can be and compete with these guys who are very established, like uh, John David Jackson, like uh, uh, Ronnie Shields, or Freddie Roach, you have to be able to know that you belong in this particular place. And you know, you have to, you know, fan, take the fan jersey off, right? And when you get to the big leagues, you take it off. So you just, and now they go from, you go from from a fan's perspective to uh, they're, they're competing against those guys. And that's mm -hmm. what it was. Yeah, and you, <clears throat> the interesting thing is you've taken a unique approach. Uh, one that not everybody takes, you know, you have, uh, you started out with their, uh, Errol Spence and and stayed with him, and he was almost your exclusive client. Really, you're, you're right. the guy you trained. You you devoted everything to him, and you right. you while you've added Jermel Charlo, and that's been a terrific a partnership for you as well. Unlike many trainers, you didn't add a lot of fighters, and I know that was by design, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, without a doubt, I think that first of all, I, I know that I'm not the answer to everybody, right? And I think that <clears throat> when, when I think that we attain certain levels of success, we believe so much, we start to believe the things that people say about us to us, how great we really are, what we can really do. And I think they go to the dollar signs or whatever, not to, not to, because this is a business. But I think for me, it's like, if you focus on the guys that you have in front of you, I mean, when you start to get so many guys, you water the product, you water it down. It's like anything. I mean, you know, you can't spread yourself out too thin. I still work a full-time job. I still have family, so I have wife and daughters. And at the same time, I still have my guys that I truly commit myself to. And for me to bring on four, five, six guys is taking a line to Aaron, a line to Jamel, when initially that's who I was to them, was what their trainer. But when I spread myself out, it's the relationship that I truly have with them, the love I have for them. I still may have it, but it's like I'm chasing something else. And I want to be able to be focused. And so I don't want a big team. I never did. And that's not to say that other people shouldn't do it. I think that <clears throat> I have, a, it's, it's, I think that for me, we have emotional relationships also. It's hard to read these guys and understand these guys and understand their desires. When you have 10, 12, 15 guys, you can't be with those guys truly me. And that's where I, I draw the lines. Like, I really want to be what my guys really need and to be able to think about them and focus on them exclusively instead of spreading it out so much. Yeah, it is possible. And to be frank, there have been cases where trainers have kind of spread themselves thin and it's created issues with relationships. So your right, way, right. Uh, and as you point out, it doesn't mean it's not appropriate or, or right. won't work for some trainers, but- uh, right. just not for me. Yeah, yeah, and it's, right, uh, right. it had there have been problems in the past for people. Um, you, uh, you, you have two uniquely different situations in that you started with, of course, Cheryl Spence when he was a young right. amateur, uh, right. and developed him as a professional uh, after meeting with him and his dad at uh, uh, at in amateur tournaments, right, right. and then for your other fighter, Jamel Charlo, 
<clears throat> you got him midstream in his right. career. What are the right. differences in those two things? How does your approach to training change when you have those two different situations? I think that sometimes it's so similar because I think that when they come to you, you have to initially break the bad habits and you always have to be conscious of teaching. I mean, one guy who I've been with for 11 years, it's not so much about teaching as it is reinforcement, right? Mm -hmm. something. But with Jamel, even though we've been together for like four or five years, I think, or three years, four years, it's still just about still constantly teaching and teaching. And so you just always have to be cognizant of the <clears> fact <throat> that you're teaching and not working them out. Because I think that working them out can get them in shape, but they look good on the mitts, right? But other than that, when in the fight, they don't, they throw 10 punches or whatever, you know, the case may be. I think but when you're teaching, they understand it because I, I teach to where they self-correct during the fight. So I'd say that that guy didn't hit you because he's so great with something that you did to enable that situation to happen. And uh, so they are self-correcting at the same time because I can't, my voice may not be able to carry into the ring of the fight. So they have to be able to do it right then and there. And then we can do what I do in the corner. Yeah, interesting. You, your, your journey with Jamel Charlo, had, you know, we're, uh, we're going to talk about the, uh, the fight coming up with, um, right, right. Uh, with uh, Errol and, and, and uh, Danny Garcia. Your journey uh, with Jamel Charlo has been a, a really a, a, an interesting <laughs> one because, you know, there, in truth, you don't see too many fighters who literally seem to transform themselves into to something uh, somewhat different. And that's what you've done with Jamel Charlie. You've made him into uh, a, quite a beast in the 154 pound division. He certainly was a fine fighter before, but right. he's become a more powerful puncher, uh, right. a more dominant force. Um, it's been an a interesting transition that you've created. I think that it's because of love, man. It's because of love. When you love the guy and you're able to give him to be what he needs and kind of see what he needs personally. And then you build from there. You think there. it's more than just the technique. It's a lot about the feelings it's, that goes into it. It's huh? love. I think, I think that, I think that it's, it's like, that's what it, it's the technique. But we have to understand like the, the ability to be able to take that in and yeah. take it in, right? Is, is, is respect and love because he has to respect me. For Jamel, he has to respect me and love me to know that I'm not giving him the, some, some false information. And he's like, man, he's a phenomenal student. Like I'm telling you, like he and Errol for now, like Jamel's like, coach, I'm gonna get it. Don't worry about it, I'm gonna get it. And see, they know that regardless of whatever, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not forgetting about what, if something I think that's significant to him, I'm gonna keep, keep talking to him by never drilling to him. It's all about the conversation. Mm -hmm. Jamel is not a guy that likes to be yelled at, so you have to talk to right. him. And like, if I'm telling him something and telling him something he's not getting it, it's not him, it's me. It's, I have to find a way to repackage it, re right. say it in a different way, um, <clears throat> show him, show it to him, in a, you know, whatever, just for him to get it, because it's not him, it's my communication skill that I have to expand just to get it across to him. So, um, and but it's understanding like his is uh, that he doesn't like to be yelled at, and you know what I mean. So you, got, you have to know that when he, you let you yell at Jamel, he shuts down. Like, like no, interesting. Shut down. So I mean, but if I had ten guys, I could never I could never connect with him like that. 
understand that, right? Just like with Arrow, Arrow, they're, 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 they're so similar because they want to be what I, I want them to be. Like, I mean, even Arrow the other day, I called him, it was last night, and I'm like, man, I, and it's like 11 something, but normally I'm asleep. And so I'm telling him, like, I like the way you were doing this, you were doing that, this thing. He said, man, he said, why are you calling me now? I said, because I didn't want to talk to you about it today. I want to tell you about it the same day. He said, so you saying this, I was 12 o'clock and that's what you think about. I said, I never thought, I said, I never stopped thinking about y'all because that's my job to be able to perfect what we're doing, right? So he was like, man, it's 12 o'clock, what you think? Hey, that's what it is, man. Like, even with, I'm, I'm thinking about my guys because it's very important. It's very important. Relationships and the trust and the understanding of it, you know, is very important because if, if, think about this, if he's going to war, and you didn't trust the guy who's next to him yeah. in the war. How can he? How can he? How can he perform to the best of his ability? Right. I mean, that's really what I see, it. and that's how. That's how I think that he was able to do what he did to Rosario, right? Because yeah, because of that. Was that the most amazing thing? That was one of the more amazing things I've seen in announcing boxing. Um, the idea that that jab uh, to the body could knock him down like that and create that much damage. Well, you know, it was it was because I think that it was accumulation of punches, right? Yeah. Over right. time, over time, good shots. I mean, like what's funny about it is everything we worked on worked. I mean, it was like the wider shots, which they seem like. If sure. you think about, it, they were wider shots, right? Because the defense was so tight. And the only way you get him to open up the defense was to start blocking the shots on the side. Right. Right. And so if you think about the second, the first knockdown was the wider shot to the top, right behind the guard. It knocked him down in the thing the first round or the first, second round. So see, but then keep throwing those, I said, keep throwing those wide shots because he's gonna keep doing this, keep doing this. The second knockdown was the shot where he threw it. So he didn't throw a wide, he threw it short because the guy was gonna, he did that. He, Caught him on the chin like that. See, so yeah. the difference is you made him, you made him think about the shots. Cause you keep throwing those shots, he's gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna block it. Cause he's smarter than you. I'm smart. The next shot is gonna be, he did that, he's gonna cut it short, caught him on the chin. That was the second knockdown. So it was really like accumulation of punches. And um, but that guy was he was tough, man. I'm telling you. But but what happened was funny, we in camp, we had a perfect, we had a perfect training camp. We had a perfect training camp to where we could, because the last training camp, we were all over the place, back and forth. But this camp was like, I was able to keep teaching and keep teaching and teach him how to tie him up, teach him how to break his rhythm, teach him how to net, let, not let him get set to punch. Like he had to keep resetting, and keep resetting, and keep resetting, which was kind of like the strategy and game plan to that. And it worked perfectly. That was an amazing performance. And uh, yeah, you did have him ready to, to fight the perfect fight at the biggest moment of his career. I mean, right, and, right. you know, it was a, to unify the titles and everything. So you as um, uh, someone that's won the Trainer of the Year Award and certainly in the conversation again this year as, as you probably will be for a number of different years, your focus is on the fighters. And you, you kind of demonstrated that with that story you told about, you know, calling calling him in the in the middle of the night to, to, right, to make right, a right. comment because he's on your mind so your focus is on the fighters and yet clearly you 
as a trainer have gotten some, uh, you know, accolades and you've certainly gotten your just due, I think, from people who understand you're very good at this. Um, how rewarding is that for you? I think it's very rewarding. I think it's very rewarding, but even more, it's more rewarding to help young men change their lives, change their families' lives. I mean, like, Jamel, the wealthy guy that accrued, Elf, mother and father, retired mother and father. That's all from the work that he and I do. I mean, I think that that's even more beautiful that his kids grow up a certain way, my kids grow up a certain way. Because people, like, growing up, you say, this is for them or this is for that, that person. But his kids will never say, that's not for me. Or my kids will never say, that's not for me. So I think that you change the, the, that's the part of it that's more gratifying. Now me, I have to say, I like winning awards, right? But that's not what I'm here to do. My job is to make sure my guys keep winning and I can't get caught up or consumed on me winning. Listen, would I want to win training out of the year? Oh man, without a doubt. Yeah. But at the same time, that can't be my main focus. Cause even though it could be at the back of my mind, but I don't let that thought peek in there because at that, same, at that point it becomes a selfish, situation other than you know what is what I'm really there for. So it's not it's not here for me because I can win training of the year. My guys look horrible. What does that mean? Like what does that mean? So it's like I have to keep my guys looking good. I mean and we're going into a really tough fight right now in Danny Garcia so we have to be focused on 100 percent I can't be focused on the prize at the end because we have to deal with the situation right in front of me. Let's talk about uh this fight coming up. Um I the first thing I want to ask you about is how did you know during the course of training and at what point did you kind of realize that Errol was going to be uh, able to function on a high level, um, you know, after all his rehab from the auto accident and the tragedy and trauma of that? When, about when did you understand that he was going to be able to function at this high level? I think, I mean, I, 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 once he started and got rolling and I would, because like I'm moving and I'm moving to get him to move or to react a certain particular way. <clears throat> and so from doing that, I saw that, but then when he sparred, he started sparring. And really like the first day, the second day, but then it, with each day, it just keeps building and building and building. I remember he sparred a big kid, Burley Brooks that I trained. He's like 180 pounds at the time. And I teach rotation, that's where the power comes from. So Birdie hits him with a boom, straight right hand down the pipe, boom. And there's no reaction. He didn't wobble Then Birdie says, because he's not, he didn't land a lot of shots. So he landed that shot, like, man, so he shoots the shot again, boom. Like within two, three seconds, boom. So he got hit with a shot on the button, then right, boom. So when you see that, he comes, he blocks the next punch. And he's like, he, he's there. He's, I mean, he took yeah. a good shot. And he's there, and you, you want to see that, right? Because it's like, uh, that's amazing when you know he's 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 right and he's thinking and like he can take a good shot. Interesting, intriguing. Um, Danny Garcia is a fighter who is um, consistently underestimated in many respects in boxing. Be, yeah. yeah, you know it's interesting. I've I've probably been guilty of that even in uh, approaching fights. I mean, I, I I try never to have a preconceived notion anyway. But but sometimes you 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 allow yourself to think, oh, he's this or he's that. When right. in reality, he's more than that. Is that a fair assessment of Danny Garcia? Without a doubt, I think that 
he's 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 always the constant underdog, right? And he he accepts that role. He wears it, wears it with with with, with you know with honor. And I think that for him, you have to come in. You have to be one thousand percent ready. You can't not think because he's this or he's that. I mean, listen, he he has two questionable losses. I mean, and right, like like this is what I say. Which you know this, he has other than Manny Pacquiao, he had the best resume in boxing. It's a very good point. <clears throat> think about like Kendall Holt. I mean, oh, about Kendall Holt. Uh, yeah. Nate Jones, I mean, like Mauricio Herrera. I mean, look, look at all these. I mean, and then when you look at these guys, Zab Judah, Amir Khan, Lamont Peterson. I mean, listen, he's he he didn't only beat former champs, but he beat Hall future Hall of Famers, right? <coughs> and that's what that's the thing about it that is, and especially no other welterweight resume can even hold up to that because Interesting. he started fight Eric Morales. I mean, just think, so you think about these things. And these are steps, steps and steps and steps. Lucas Matisse, I mean, who thought he was going to win that fight? No, I mean, you're you right. Very few, a lot of people <laughs> did not. You know what I mean? Like, listen, I mean, yeah. like, so, so when you think about it, you're like, he's a guy who always steps up. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's an overachiever. You cannot. Yeah. And so the thing about it is you cannot go in there and count him out because, hey, man, he shows up all the time. You're... Uh, Errol is, of course, a terrific aggressive fighter. He's he's a good volume puncher, tremendous body puncher, and has lots of power. Um, right. Danny Garcia is more of a counter puncher. Uh, right. What kind of aggression does Errol need in this fight to be effective? I think that I think that there has to be like two or three different phases in the fight. I think that has to be a phase where he's aggressive, but at the same time smart. Mm-hmm. That he has to be able to embrace counterpunching when counterpunch with the counterpuncher, right? Counterpunch him. I think that you have to also just be able to uh take take counterpunching away from him. I mean, but I mean, I think that those are things that what 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 we put like this because everything's a hypothetical, but what we do know is what he does best, right? And listen, it's not only the left hook, but the left there's a punch before the left hook most of the time, so you got to kind of anticipate the punch before the left hook, because that's a misdirection situation, which is to focus on this and do that. So I think that, so you have to focus on those things, man, all these probabilities, all these possibilities, that I have to create all these scenarios yeah. where when they are presented, because they will come up, he's like, he's okay with it. He's not flustered, he's okay, he's uh, feeling good about it. And that's what you have to just keep, keep him thinking, keep, it, keep his mind, prepare for this shot, that shot, the straight punches. I mean, everything he does, I mean, he doesn't only throw the left hook. He's, he's, he has a good right hand, and he has fast and good twitch and fast reaction time. So that's what you got to be prepared for. Well, I'm sure you guys are. I'm sure you've worked on everything. And uh, uh, I know you are feeling uh, confident about Errol's preparation for this fight, that's for sure. Right. I mean, he, he's... We've been working since like the last week of March. So if you can imagine like, so people like they say the ring was, yeah, but it's a little different with this because we kind of took the older guy, me being the older guy or the Floyd Mayweather approach. Like most young guys, they train for eight, eight to 10 weeks, right? But when, you, when you're when older guy, you come in through something or working through something, you just train for like six, seven months. Because what happens is 
you have to work all those kinks out, get all those cobwebs out, and basically take 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 the grunt of everything. Take those bad days and just add those bad days up. And then, you know, with everything you do in those bad days, add it makes it a good day. And just keep building on that. And I think that that's what we took. You know, that's what that's the idea we took to keep working, keep pushing. So by the time he started camp, he's ripped up. He's like, man, he's only like, he might be on weight today. I'm telling you, because I mean, that's interesting. I mean, because I know yesterday he was, you know, a couple over. So I'm just yeah, that's, say, that's great. Right. I mean, that's just the true conviction <clears throat> and motivation and dedication of what, where he's come from. You know, because you can actually see that from the day he walked in the gym, the stiffness, the movement, the thing that he couldn't do to today, he just fought. I mean, 13 rounds, we kind of tapering off, but no, he's been he's done 15 and 16 rounds really easy. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, what what we will see Saturday is really the best version of Rail Spence. And we'll see Danny Garcia, which I believe is the best version of him, and Angel Garcia. I think that they're going to bring the A game. What's that? I'm listening. They always do. These are guys that show up. And they show up. I mean, so this is a fight for for the people. This is like what we back in the day, the old super fights. Yeah, big fight for boxing for sure. And uh, those right. are the kind I know you want to be involved in, and you have been involved in those in recent right. years. Derek, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to visit with me, and uh, good luck on uh, December fifth. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you, and thanks for the time. I'm very honored to be here with you, the boxing legend. Are you in the Hall of Fame yet? You in the Hall of Fame yet? I, I am in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah we go, we go they did. They Hall snuck me in there. Where you will be someday? When listen, man. They, they, yeah. they didn't have to listen. To be honest, they didn't have to sneak you in there. When you when you walk to the door, it just opened up automatically. Uh, you just you, slid on in there. <laughs> you've, you've been, been in boxing right. since I was a little bitty kid, watching you, watching the fights and everything over time. Hearing your voice, it's amazing. It's great. Well, I appreciate that very much coming from you. That's for sure. And uh, again, best of luck on December 5th. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Of course, every week we talk about my bookie. Uh, And, you know, ever since I started out, people always ask me for advice. And it's about all kinds of things. But in covering sports, most of the time, it's about who's going to win and what team they should bet on. Uh, Now, do you have the Patriots this week, the 49ers, the Bucks, the Raiders? Who do you like? Um, and what I always tell people is that uh, where you bet is almost as important as what you bet on. And I always tell them to visit my bookie. Uh, they've got deposit matches, free bets, and some huge cash prize contests. And you can take advantage of them all season long. NFL action, check. College ball, check. Plus, they have a mobile-friendly website that... Uh, and top-of-the-line customer service, making their platform a one-stop shop for all your betting needs. Now, my bookie offers action on everything from championship futures to NFL in-game live betting, uh, and they make sure you're covered every step of the way. Now, you can sign up at my bookie today, and when you do, use your promo code Bernstein. That's right, Bernstein to claim a halfway match on your deposit. So if you put up $200, they'll spot you another 100 to play with. Now, it's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. And the promo code is Bernstein. That's promo code Bernstein, B-E-R-N, 
S-T-E-I-N. So you can claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stacked UFC cards, uh, all major sports, they're all awaiting you. Sign up today to begin your winning season and do it at my bookie. Well, uh, they have graciously, uh, Trip at the MyBookie folks, given me some uh, credits to play with, and I- I've been making selections each week. And uh, this week we have an intriguing game on tap because it involves a team that I normally would never support, but I'm going to actually make them my selection this week, and that is the Green Bay Packers. I'm a Bears fan, so, of course, (laughs) anything Packer-related is an anathema to me. But they are playing the Philadelphia Eagles, correct? That is correct. At home. Giving giving seven points. So um, it is almost impossible to think of the Eagles, based on the way they're performing right now, uh, matching up offensively against the uh, the Packers, who are putting up points at a dizzying rate. Uh, and uh, Carson Wentz, of course, struggling mightily. Uh, I actually feel bad for him. <laughs> it's, it's, he took a beating uh, on, uh, uh, on national TV um, and, 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 of course, has been performing dismally. Uh, Jalen Hurts will probably ultimately get in. In fact, I predict he'll be in this game. By uh, I don't think he'll start, but I think he'll end up getting in this game. But I'm going to go with the Packers giving uh, seven points. What do you think of my pick? Do you think I'm uh, on board here? Uh, it was painful to watch the Bears versus the Packers. Yeah, Mitch Trubisky, oh. you know, that that fumble and, and oh, just pitiful. Yeah, but- no, the Bears are – the Bears are are in. Uh, the Bears might be one of the worst five and six teams you could ever imagine. Uh, I mean, it's just uh, you know I'm sure they're headed for a change in uh, coaching and general managership. Uh, and uh, hey, the good news is we you know we've we've invested a lot of money in Mitch Trubisky. Wait, no, that's not such good news, is it? And do you think maybe that uh, teams are going to go out and and find a quarterback who dated Danica Patrick and wait for her to break up or him to break up? Because Aaron (laughs) Rodgers, yeah, you know, it was always kind of you looked at Aaron Rodgers and you looked at Tom Brady, and and now it doesn't. They seem like they're in different universes. Aaron Rodgers just really getting it going. Yeah, yeah, right. Aaron Rodgers playing terrific football and. uh, and the Packers in that division, of course, have things their own way. So we'll see how that all flies. And don't forget, go to my bookie, and you can uh, take care of all your betting needs. So Derek James, of course, as I said, uh, will be in the corner this weekend when uh, his charge, Errol Spence, takes on Danny Garcia. And the man at the microphone, or one of the men at the microphone, uh, is going to be Lennox Lewis, the former heavyweight champion of the world. He'll be calling the fight. And we had a chance to ask Lennox a few questions about the upcoming Garcia-Spence fight. Here it is. Lennox, you are going to be ringside uh, for the uh, fight between Errol Spence and um, uh, Danny Garcia. And, you know, Spence coming back after this long layoff, uh, after his accident, I'm just wondering, do you think that Danny Garcia – even though it's not his style, 
would be super aggressive early in the fight because uh, Spence is coming off that accident? I don't know. It's a, it's a good uh, theory because, you know, you can fight the fight different ways, but it's really how you fight, wage the war, you know? And, uh, you know, I think that may be a mistake, you know, because uh, uh, um, the truth wants to prove himself. He knows that uh, everybody's saying, you know, the accidents probably affected him. So they want to see how good he is. What's, if anything's affected by this accident, right? So everybody's going to be paying close attention. And uh, Danny Garcia is, you know, he's a good counter puncher, right? So he's not really going to commit himself too too early. He's going to check out the situation, and you know, he's a, he's he's got a lot of boxing knowledge. So I've seen him do that before, and um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So in a way, it doesn't suit his style to do that. So it would be a departure for him. Right. And uh, I actually think Errol Spence is going to uh, come after him. He's going to, you know, the, when, the way how he fought Porter yeah. really surprised me. I'm shocked that he bullied the bully type of thing. And yeah. he wasn't really trying to run around the, round, around the ring, but he did show some good angles and some good combinations. So I think I'm expecting the same. I think he wants to prove himself and he's gonna go right after Danny Garcia. And you know, one of the interesting things about this fight and you're very aware of having the right people in your corner. You, 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 know, you, you had a wonderful relationship with Emmanuel Stewart, which we'll talk about in a second or two, but uh, you, this fight, is unique in that both of the trainers of these fighters, Angel Garcia, of course, Danny's dad, and um, uh, Derek James, the trainer of uh, Errol Spence, have been with them for a long time. So they're not rented trainers. They're people that really understand their fighter. Yeah, and that's very important. You know, it's better to go to battle with the people that you know that's been around you the longest. So they know how to motivate you. They can tell if anything's going wrong. And, you know, the game plan that you guys, them guys are going to, you know, uh, uh, play out is, will be, everybody's going to be watching. So it's not just the fighters, the corners matter as well, because they're experienced corners and the information they give to their fighter at, at, at the specific times is very important. So, you know, there's a lot to look forward to in this fight. I think it's going to be a, an exciting fight. And, uh, you know, I, who doesn't want a good fight? Who doesn't want to see one? We <laughs> That's all do. For sure. how, how important is this fight to, to, as far as boxing coming back now after the pandemic? This is one of the, I think, one of the fights people has fo have focused on. Yeah, I mean, um, big fights is what uh, people want, you know, especially checking out Danny Garcia. They want to see how he's going to hold up. This is this is uh, an important fight for him. You, nobody really knows until they get in the ring and see each other uh, fight. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, yeah. it's certainly going to be a, an excellent What, what are you saying? You what are you saying? Yeah, I, you know, I, th I listen, I feel like it's a really interesting fight because of the style matchups. You know, as you point out, Errol Spence will be aggressive and Danny Garcia is a very good counterpuncher. So when you put those two together, and you made the point that Errol Spence maybe wasn't as aggressive as he should have been against Sean Porter, so maybe we'll see more of that. 
Yeah. We'll see stuff. what happens. Well, it's going to be a, a terrific fight, and you will be ringside calling it on Fox, and we'll look forward to your comments. So we'll see how it plays out uh, this weekend with uh, Danny Garcia and Errol Spence. I know we're all going to be anxious to see that one. And uh, one that we did see, Trip was uh, the fight this past weekend with uh, Mike Tyson and uh, Roy Jones Jr. in their quote-unquote exhibition match. Uh, in an interesting evening of mixing of music and, uh, and boxing uh, and YouTubers and all kinds of stuff, not to mention Snoop Dogg. Uh, I was supposed to be on hand there, but of course I couldn't go uh, because I had tested positive for COVID. But I watched on TV as many people did, and uh, it was an interesting evening. And Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson fought to what was unofficially called a draw. Um, and our man, Tommy Ankello, who uh, of course has the world class boxing channel on uh, YouTube. Uh, that is so good and who we partner up with. He was in the corner of Roy Jones Jr., exhorting him on and trying to get him to box, box, box against Mike Tyson. How did you have it at home? (laughs) If I was scoring it, I think I would have probably given it to Tyson. He seemed a little more aggressive and landed a more telling blows, especially those body shots, which Roy Jones Jr. said everywhere he hit him, he hurt him, even though they had 12-ounce gloves on. Uh, so I, I think I would lean to Tyson in, in, in that one. Um, but, you know, it ended up being a, a, a draw. And our, our pal Vinny Pazienza, who we interviewed here, uh, he, he got in the crosshairs of controversy because he scored it so dramatically for Jones. But, uh, you know, I think the whole point of it was, uh, uh, was to see these two men in action. The line of the night was, uh, was issued by Snoop Dogg, who said, it kind of reminded me of two of my uncles fighting at the picnic, uh, which was <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, and interestingly, he he got, he kind of he was one of the uh, stars of the evening. Everybody got a kick out of Snoop Dogg. But uh, my son pointed out that had I commentated with Snoop Dogg, it would have been the highlight of his life. So perhaps in the future, uh, down the road in one of these. But um, but it was fun, and uh, everybody came away with uh, they people seemed to enjoy it. Uh, you know they. Uh, in a, a different evening of boxing, to be sure, along with some entertainment, and uh, and everybody had a good time. And again, did, did you uh, feel that Roy Jones Jr. he had fought much more recently than Tyson? Did he show Tyson some things, or what was your analysis of it? No, you know, I think actually the irony is Tyson looked fresher. Uh, many people thought Tyson would burn out after a couple rounds. Uh, he didn't, you know, he was fresher during a longer portion of the, the fight. Uh, uh, and, uh, and Roy was, was I think, uh, physically was kind of uh, had a few more issues in terms of stamina and all the rest. And, of course, he got banged away in the body pretty good. Uh, but, uh, but Roy had his moments of boxing well in there. And, uh, you know, it, so it was it was entertaining to people and uh, the whole presentation of the evening ended up being something that people got a kick out of so at the end of the day that's good and as I said Tommy Ankello is there and by the way uh, go check out Tom's uh, YouTube channel World Class Boxing and you'll see some great videos. Uh, we, we of course got a brief chance here to hear from Lennox Lewis but we will have an extended interview of Lennox Lewis coming up on our next uh, show and you'll get to hear more from uh, the heavyweight, former heavyweight champion of the world, 
uh, about his career and how he sees boxing. Uh, and we'll get a chance to visit with him uh, a little bit more. So my thanks to uh, Derek James for joining us. Thanks to Lennox Lewis. Thanks to Trip Mitchell, as always, for his fine work. Thank you for not only joining us, but for sending us questions. Please send us questions at Al Bernstein on Twitter. Uh, you can ask me anything you want, and I will be happy to answer it. We'll see you next time.